This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Elliot Jackson, and I am joined, as always, by George Smith. George, how are you doing? Oh, not bad, mate. Not bad. How's things with you? Yes, good, thank you. Nice mother Mother's Day. Uh, been out for a nice slap-up meal to, to treat the mum. So, no, it's been it's been a nice day, nice relaxed Sunday after uh, Grimsby Town got all three points yesterday. As always, a reminder to subscribe to this podcast feed, which you can find on all your usual platforms, and make sure you are following us on Twitter and Instagram at ChampChatPod24. Now, we've got a different bit of a different podcast this week, haven't we, George? Because the international break is in full flow. Sadly, there was no championship action to dissect and analyse from the weekend. So with the, the playoff picture in, in absolute pandemonium, uh, we've we've chatted to everyone from third to ninth, uh, the seven teams in that in that bracket, to, to sort of get a gauge on where every fan base is, is sort of feeling at the minute. What, what were your main takeaways from the recordings we've done this week? Well, I think everybody in their own right is still feeling upbeat and feeling like they've still got a chance of getting in there. Obviously, it's such a tight race. No, nobody knows how this is going to end, and for myself and you as neutrals, it's it's highly gripping. And listening to everybody's thoughts, that you could you could feel a little bit of panic in everybody's voices, but at the same time, that the confidence is still there. And when it's so close and so tight, there's every reason to to be confident with the games that we've got left. So everybody, I think, has got a bit of a mixed emotions as we're heading to the final part of the season. And obviously, we're recording this on Sunday, come Friday night. The uh, the final running begins with Huddersfield at Hull and who knows how many twists and turns are going to come over the next three or four weeks. It's going to, it's going to be brilliant to watch, it really is. Yeah, I'm certainly excited to, to watch it. So, as I say, a bit of a different podcast. So, we've interviewed everyone from 3rd, Luton Town, all the way to ninth in Nottingham Forest. I did draw the line at Millwall and decided to leave them out, partly because of how long the podcast would have been and partly because, realistically, with the, yes, they're only... Uh, four points adrift to Blackburn, but with the games they played extra, you know, Forest have got games in hand, two on them, Middlesbrough have got a game in hand. And with the traffic in front of them, I just, I, I'm personally ruling Millwall out at this stage. So we're going to work through from third place Luton all the way down to Forest at the end. And we hope you enjoy the podcast. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. We're going to start this weekend's podcast with Luton Town, the team third in the championship table after their remarkable rise since the start of the year. Delight to say we're joined by Ian from We Are Luton Town podcast. Ian, thank you for joining us. Hey, mate. You all right? Yes, all good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, good, thank you. Yeah, Yeah, I'm not surprised. It's a great time to be a Luton Town fan at the minute after a remarkable rise, as I say, since the turn of the year. I think Luton were, it's fair to say, were a lot of people's dark horses for the for the playoffs, but I don't think anyone expected you to be third heading into April. Uh, you must be pinching yourself at, at where the club is right now. Yeah, no, I think you're right. We were a lot of people's dark horses, so much so we, we didn't become the dark horses, if you like. We kind of beige. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, a little bit beige, yeah. Um, yeah, I pinched myself. I think, you know, at the beginning of the season, I predicted we'd be around 8th or 9th. And that would have been good for me. That was, you know, progression from last year in 12th. Um, so it's not that I didn't think we didn't have it in us. I just thought that, you know, with the transition we had in, in the summer with movement of players out and in, I thought it might take a little bit longer for them to gel. But um, no, I mean, certainly since the turn of the year, it's been uh, an incredible run. And yeah. uh, 
and long may it continue. And I know we've got quite a few injuries at the moment, but even with changing the team around, we seem to have done even better. So it's really galvanised us. So yeah, it's really good. Yeah, it's that momentum you say. I think I think you played what for four centre back, four full backs, and a winger in in your last in your victory at Hull at the weekend across that back five. And the recruitment has been absolutely fantastic, as you say. And especially when you consider the budget, Luton quite well documented. They have the lowest budget in the championship. Nathan Jones working absolute miracles, really. And when you look at some of those summer recruits, Alan Campbell, Reese Burke, Adebayo, of course, before that in the, the January window before, they've been such brilliant pickups. And just how vital has that recruitment been to your success and the way you've rebuilt your squad and, and made it so competitive at the top end of the championship? Yeah, I think, you know, throughout the years being a Luton fan, you always have that feeling when you sign new players of... Uh, on air of you know not knowing what's coming with the players but we've had such a good recruitment process for so long I mean you just see at the last team we put out how many players we had in from League 2 um, so there's always been that air recently that we trust the recruitment process so we knew we were going to get some good fighters coming in um, and it was just going to take a little bit of time for the as I you know said earlier I thought the transition might take a little bit longer than it has for them to gel but they're such a, a hard-working team. You know, like you say, Alan Campbell, he's absolutely ferocious in the middle of the park. He never, ever stops. Um, the recruitment, you know, we've got a couple that some Luton fans would probably say haven't made the mark yet, but I think they're seen as they're a little bit further behind in their their process and they wouldn't be normally like Mendes Gomez. You know, I think that he wasn't going to be starting every single week. So, um no, the recruitment's been really, really good. Um, like you say, Adebayo, since he's come in, um, not just his goals, but his hold-up play, uh, his physicality, just echoes throughout the team. Yeah, 250 grand, I think it was, from Walsall, the fantastic yeah, yeah. pick-up. And that's been, a, a say, a common theme throughout, certainly the last two years and, and beyond that, as Luton have worked their way up the divisions. And obviously, Nathan Jones has been the, 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 the mastermind behind that, really, despite the stint at Stoke that we're not going to talk about in between. It can be a bit of a device, uh, divisive character at times, but I think he's done, well, everyone would say he's done a brilliant job at Luton. And I think it's the, the us against the world mentality that he try and tries to drill into his players. I think he likes that Luton Town are the underdogs in most championship matches they go into. And it's a mentality that's really worked for you so far this season. Yeah, I think, you know, that was kind of, you saw that come to fruition at the Bournemouth game. That seemed to be, after we had a little bit of a layoff with COVID in, in December, that that Bournemouth game kind of lit a blue touch paper, if you like, and we just went on from there. That never-say-die attitude and the fact that, you know, a team like Bournemouth, over £100 million in their team, can rock up and we can say, no, you're not having any of that. And, and, you know, we just go on and win the game in the end. And, you know, it wasn't lucky. You know, the last 10 minutes we were going for it and we were like, right, we're going to have this game by the scruff of the neck. And, you know, they're not well documented in their interviews recently. They're not scared of anybody. They want to go out and win the game. They're not really looking at anybody else's qualities, looking at themselves. You know, they're saying, right, we're going to go and dominate this game. Um, so, yeah, really, really good. There's never say-die attitude from from all of the players. It's just ridiculous. Um, and like you said, it's worth so many points over the season. Um, and it's, it's funny you say that with Nathan Jones because obviously, you know, a lot of opposition fans don't really like him because they don't like his mouthy nature or his shouting on the sidelines. Commentators don't either. Um, it's just really, really interesting. He's one of them characters and if, if he wasn't at your club, you kind of think, oh, he's a bit annoying, isn't he? 
Um, <laughs> you know, a lot of the opposition fans kind of latch on to that. And uh, I can see why it happens. Um, and he does say stuff to our opposition fans like QPR the other week, um, which he did on purpose. You the know, Stoke like, interview was fantastic as well. Yeah, exactly. You know, he, he does it on purpose. Um and and he gets what he wants from that. I think you know he says things in so many words, and I think he went about it the right way. That Stoke interview for him, I think. I think he needed to get that off his chest and just say, "Well, look, you know, it might have been slightly unjust when I was here because they didn't really want to play for me." And he got that got that across in so many words. I think. Yeah, he's definitely the type of manager you want in the trenches with you. If he's the the leader of your club, you you absolutely adore him. Absolutely. So, Luton, obviously, things are going really well. You're third on 63 points. It's obviously very tight still in that that top six battle. Plenty of teams with games in hand, which skews it a little bit and makes it even harder for us to predict than normal. What do you think is the most likely thing that will stop Luton Town getting in the playoff places? Um, I think it's just... We've seen a couple of times this year with QPR and Birmingham um, certain matches where our mentality doesn't quite get us over the line or it stops us. And I think sometimes it's just, and I don't know if that's, it's Nathan Jones. I watched his coaching um, thing with Coach Voices yesterday. Yes, and saw uh, that, yep. Yeah, and he was he was just saying, you know, certain bits in that about bogey teams and, and, and getting over, you know, certain scenarios and stuff like that. And I think, I don't know if it's a mental block. And I think you know, there's a couple of games coming up that could maybe spring on us with that, maybe. Um I don't know. I'm, I'm so confident that we're going to get in the playoffs. I don't think we're going to go up, but I, I am quite confident. I think we saw against Hull, um, I've seen in previous seasons when we've gone up, that, like you say, about mentality and it, the confidence that exudes from the team at the moment that we're going to get a good result. And if we don't, we're just going to get back on the horse. I don't think they're going to let that go now. Similar to when we won the League One title, when Nathan went, the the players and a majority of the players are still there. They weren't going to let it go. They were going to get over the line. Um, but if it's anything, it's going to be tight. I think it's anything going to going to stop us. We've got the next three games. We've got Millwall. We you know we struggle against sometimes. Um, we've got um, Forest, quite a difficult one. We played really really well in the return fixture um, early on in the season and didn't get anything from it. Um, so I think it's going to be them types of fixtures that maybe let us down if if we do if we don't quite get across the line. But I'm I'm relatively confident we will. Yeah, there's a lot of teams that have obviously still got to play each other. I think QPR have still got to play Sheffield United twice, which is a bizarre scenario going yeah, into April. Yeah, like that. Yeah, it's it's strange how it all works, and with so many teams vying for those spots as well. And you know we've sort of left out Millwall and Coventry um, in this sort of roundup that we've done this weekend they're going to take points off teams still that are in the playoffs for definite. So it's going to be really interesting. So you've said you're really confident. I'm going to make you put a score to it now. So what would you score your chances out of 10 of finishing in the top six? In the top six? Eight, I'd say. And you just snatched your hand off at that sort of scenario at the start of the season? You would. Uh, you know, I, I don't think it's going to be pretty. Um, and apart from the last two games, actually, our football for the last 10 hasn't been that pretty. It has been, you know, dig, dig your heels in um, type of type of performances. But the last two kind of switched a little bit. Um, we should have, we should have really, sorry, the last three, actually, we should have really got something from QPR. We played really well in that game and we were really unlucky, I thought. Um, so it's not going to be pretty, I don't think, depending on the injuries that come back from international duty, um, from the, you know, the space, um, I think 
depending on who we get back. I don't think we can survive eight games with no centre-backs. I don't think anyone can, in fairness. No, it's going to be a bit of a tricky one, but I'm sure we'll have some back. Um, it's not going to be pretty, but I think, yeah, eight out of ten, I think we'll, we'll, we'll qualify. And you're probably the team that's got the most momentum, given you were, what, 17th or 16th on, like, start of January? Yeah, I don't know if you saw that there was a tweet on Twitter. I, I retweeted, I think it was yesterday. And I completely forgot we'd actually only dipped down for one game, I think it was, because it was that tight. But, yeah, 17th. Yeah. I mean, I still think we, we've got the most points this year, apart from Fulham, I think, you know. And I know we don't draw many games, that's the thing, but we will lose the odd one. Like, So, um, yeah, if we can keep that up... Um, we're not going to need that many more points to to qualify, I don't think. Everyone seems to be dropping a few points around, which has surprised me a little bit. Um, you know, likes Sheffield United, I thought they were gonna gonna you know be knocking on the door for second, and they've dropped a few points really recently. So, yeah, it's it's been a fantastic story watching Luton's rise, and it's certainly one that we're going to continue watching towards the end of the season with a great deal of interest. Ian, thank you so much for joining us. No problem with it. Cheers. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. And next up on this week's podcast is Huddersfield Town. And we're going to be looking at the Terriers in depth with Matt from And He Takes That Chance podcast. Matt, thank you for joining us. How are you? Uh, no problems. I'm very well, thank you. Excellent. So, I mean, it's been a remarkable season for Huddersfield Town, of course, slightly coming off the back of a uh, slight dip in form, but a, a remarkable season nonetheless. Fourth in the table, 63 points on the board. I think it's fair to say that not even the most optimistic of Huddersfield Town fan could have foreseen you being in this sort of scenario going into April. I don't think anyone really predicted how well we would do and, you know, the job that Lee Bromby, Carlos Cobra and everyone at the club has done, you know, what they've done is they've put together a, a number of players. It's almost like uh, a thrift store, if you like. They've gone out and got unloved, <laughs> unloved and unwanted items, if you like, uh, put them it's together. A analogy. Yeah, shine them up and... Uh, here we have a team which fits and gels really well together. They individually uh, get on brilliantly together. The team spirit. I, I would, I would challenge if there was a better team spirit among the players in the champ in the entire championship. And it's really carried us to another level, uh, whereby that sort of uh, cohesion off the pitch has, has gelled together on the pitch. And what we've got is a team that really fights for each other, really enjoys playing together and for the club, uh, and one that's a lot of fun to watch as well. Even if you know. People, you know, may say that we we don't play the best football in the league, but it's really fun to watch a team that really fights together, uh, and and obviously delivers on the pitch as well. Yeah, and the transformation in the team overall has been f- phenomenal, but particularly defensively, that's been the big marked improvement this season. You conceded the most goals in the championship last year; only ten have leaked fewer this term. Um, a lot of unsung heroes in that defence. And when you talk about that thrift shop and the recruitment in the summer, I think no better. Uh, examples, you know, obviously Levi Colwell gets all the limelight being the, the Chelsea loanee and he has been spectacular in the, on the left side of that defence. But equally, when you look at someone like Tom Lees and Lee Nichols, the way they sort of came in the club under a little bit under the radar, nobody really expecting anything from them. Ollie Turton had a bit of a, a rocky start, but he's starting to really impress now at right back as well. It's those sort of signings that have really propelled you and really helped the team grow. Yeah, it's a completely new back four and goalkeeper, really. Um, Lee Nichols was... Second, you know, everyone knows the story. Second choice at MK Dons, not through talent, especially more through a contractual situation. Uh, he's come in and you know he's done that well. There are Huddersfield fans really annoyed at the minute that he's not got the the, the chance to play for you know to be the third choice goalkeeper for England. As mad as mad as that sounds, but it shows the levels of where you know he's come from. You know, Ryan Schofield 
uh, had a very difficult time last year. Um, he's you know had a lot of injuries as well, so hopefully he comes again at some point. But Lee Nichols has been superb. You know he's he's faultless in his uh, his decision making, and that's really what uh, a back four needs is a goalkeeper who. Um, so, so for a defense, I, I used to play goalkeeper, and, and the worst thing for a defense is really not knowing what your goalkeeper is going to do behind. Is he going to come? Is he going to stay? And every time the ball comes in the box, you know what Lee Nichols is going to do, and that just sets such a calmness amongst the back four. And in that back four, you've now got uh, Tom Lees. You've got, uh, you know, he again. We talk about unwanted, uh, unwanted, unloved players, etc. But Tom Lees was excellent for Sheffield Wednesday a couple of years ago. Obviously, you you've, you followed Sheffield Wednesday you know, at one point as well, and you know he was. You know, a playoff defender, playoff centre back. You know, and he he looks just as good to me now as what he did back then, if not slightly better, because he's got a little bit more added experience. Matty Pearson is, you know, they call him the Keith Cannavaro, uh, you know, at Huddersfield, and he he's a uh, very much a head it, kick it kind of defender. We thought he might be a little bit clog footed, if you like, when he came. Uh, we had that sort of reputation, but he's on the ball. He's not actually half as bad as what you know people have made out. So he's done very well. Uh, Ollie Turton did have a rough start, but a lot of that was uh, down to the system, if you like. So Ollie's more—he's a right back. He's a right back through and through. He's not a wing back, you know. And so when he's played wing back, he's really struggled. But as as an out and out right back, he's done very well. And you know, he's probably going to keep a Spanish under twenty one international out of the side, you know, when when Pippa's back fit. So you know, and you throw in Harry Toffolo, who's been a, a reliable figure for us, and it's it's actually a really good back four now. And you know, and in front of that, you've got Jonathan Hogg, you know, the old leader and warrior, you know, making sure nobody. Nobody, uh, you know, drops from uh, the performance level. So yeah, it's it, we've done really well at the back, and a lot of credit has to go to uh, people. And I think there was a lot of question marks over Carlos Corbran as well. Can he coach a team to be defensively sound? Whilst obviously as a, a Bielsa disciple, as he was uh, renowned coming in from Leeds, I think that was where the the sort of question marks came. But perhaps I think we're a few people are eating humble pie in the sense that maybe he just wasn't given the tools last year to implement the job, and this year he's obviously massively overperformed, and he's been brilliant as well for you. Yeah, I think to be fair to Carlos, the the best thing about him is he's learned on the job. Uh, he came in, everybody expected him to, you know, bring this free flowing style with him, and and to be honest, he did at first. But you know, he was he was really working them hard as well off the scene. You know, the murder ball sessions every sort of Thursday and and whatnot. And players dropped like flies by Christmas last year. Uh, we we pretty much had nobody left, um, and. I think through December to almost the end of the season, we had at least eight players missing every game, and it just took such a huge uh, mental toll as well as the physical injuries as well. It was a really difficult period for the club, um, really difficult for Carlos. But to his credit, you know, he's not he's not sulked, he's not blamed anybody else. He's gone away, analysed it. This is this is what Carlos does. He's, he's a huge analyst. He went away and, and thought about exactly what he needed, and you know, he's done he's done superbly. There are still people that question. Uh, whether he's, you know, in, incredibly, you know, we were, se- we were second a couple of weeks ago and there were still one or two comments, you know, saying they wouldn't lose any sleep if Carlos Corbrand left. I would. I think he's done a great job. Yeah, I think undoubtedly he's done a great job, especially on on the sort of budgeting uh, that obviously we've, we've discussed and the way they had to build rebuild that squad in the summer, getting players out the door as well. It's been a huge rebuild and this season certainly justified the, the what was at the time a controversial decision from uh, Phil Hodgkinson to get rid of Danny Cowley and bring Carlos to the club. For a lot of pre-season, as I say, I watched a lot of Huddersfield and it felt to me that the missing part of the puzzle was very much a centre-forward. Danny Ward has been a very good championship operator, but if we're being fair in the last few seasons, he's been made of glass. He's just not been able to have a run of games and be fit. This season, he's been fit, he's been back to his best, he looks leaner, 
and he's chipped in with 13 goals. How impressive has he been for you? He's had uh, quite a lot of setbacks, you know, in his first year. There's the death of Jordan Sinner, you know, a close friend of his as well, which affected him, I believe, as well. Which, you know, uh, so we, we understand what Danny Ward's been through, and he's had a very tough, tough time. So when you hear a sort of backstory like that, if you like, it's really good to see somebody like Danny Ward, uh, you know, a local guy from Bradford, uh, you know, come through, uh, to come through the other side and produce what he's doing, and he is. What, you know, as, as daft as it sounds, he is one of the best all-round strikers in the league at the moment. He, he may not be the eye-catching striker of Mitrovic, but you look at his chance conversion rate, you look at the shots to goals ratio, and his hold-up play is fantastic. You know, and he wins a lot of balls in the air for his size as well. So he's got a lot to his to his game. I think the the problem after that is um, Jordan Rhodes is a very different type of striker. So if we lose Danny Ward, there is as they say in, in Huddersfield, you know, trouble at mill. He is an all-round forward. You know, he does everything up there. He presses from the front. He holds the ball up. He scores goals. He, you know, he goes wide. He does everything. And uh, he's been phenomenal. And if it wasn't for the likes of Lee Nichols and Lewis O'Brien, I think Danny Ward would be right up there as player of the year. Yeah, I don't think many people would have probably predicted he'd managed to hit double figures uh, at the start of the season. I've always liked Danny Ward. I saw quite a lot of him play at Rotherham. Uh, and I thought he was really good. His spring is unbelievable. I've never seen a player that's... <laughs> For, for his size, obviously he's not the tallest, but the spring he's got is, is pretty amazing. Looking at the sort of the team as a whole then, you've obviously had an amazing unbeaten run that's obviously just sort of petered out and gone, come to an end. One point from the last three. What do you think is the most likely thing that could cost Huddersfield Town a playoff place? It's a good question. Um, I'm still sort of sat looking at why we've we've fallen off a little bit in the last, I'd say four games, because I'll throw the Nottingham Forest one in the Cup game in as well. Uh, we played very well against West Brom for 80 minutes. Uh, I don't you did. think that should be lost. Uh, we, were, we were absolutely excellent. Um, I think the way that the team folded, if you like, I don't know if that's a fair, a fair saying, but we, we did fold a little bit after the first goal went in against West Brom. Uh, and it seemed to be a bit of a hangover from, you know, into the Millwall game where Millwall were excellent, really good, um, fully deserved to beat us in Bournemouth on Saturday. We, we couldn't get near them and we looked sort of mentally and physically shot. And we did this last year where, you know, but we did it in January last year where we actually looked mentally and physically shot and couldn't recover. So really now it's all about uh, Carlos Corbran and, and how he can uh, turn turn things around. And, you know, we haven't, we haven't hit a spell really this year where this season whereby we've, you know, really gone off the rails and gone on a really bad run. So uh, we, last time, last couple of occasions, we've lost a couple of games, we've bounced back and won. So, the whole city game is absolutely huge. The next one up, you know, and that will really tell us whether we're serious or not. So the real important factor at the minute is Carlos Corbran just refreshing uh, players' minds, if you like, and refocusing and rejigging, reinvigorating. I think is is the right word, and it really hinges on whether he can do that over the international break. Yeah, it's probably come at the right time for you. I completely agree with you, and I said on our podcast this week that um, I think that whole city games must win because of the games you've got to come after it, and if you go in with that momentum of beating Hull, it can obviously change the picture. Is it Middlesbrough and QPR, two of the, the three teams? Yeah, Luton, You've got to play after that. Luton, QPR, Luton, Middlesbrough. Yeah, yeah, they're the ones. So if you go into that you know, with one point from four having, and lose to Hull, then that completely changes the complexity of that run going in. So you're fourth in the table. I think a lot of people have been waiting for Huddersfield to fall away because uh, of how good the season's been, but you haven't. As you say, you've not really got had a, a sticky run of form. And if we're, we're counting, you know, how would you score your chances out of 10 of finishing in the playoffs this season? I think it's 50-50, so you can't really say 5 out of 10 for that, can you? But um, I think it's a, it's a strong 6 or 7, really. Um, 
you look behind us and Middlesbrough, Nottingham Forest are frightening teams really at this level. Do you know, and, and the runs they can they can go on. Forest have really picked right up, and you know, I think everybody will probably be looking at them and thinking if they hit that run of form into the you know going into the playoffs, then they'll be you know the team to stop. Uh, Middlesbrough, you know, we go there on uh, I think it's Easter Monday, and that is huge if we can make sure we don't lose to Middlesbrough in particular and keep them at, at arm's length, that would be really huge for us because, again, they beat us at home quite convincingly. Um, there have been a couple of teams who tactically we've struggled against and Middlesbrough and Nottingham Forest are, are two of them. Um, so really, it's you know I'm, I'm looking at those two and, and slightly worried, but I just think we need to really focus on focus on ourselves. Four wins should do it, 75 points. Um, yeah. Or, you know, three wins, three draws, whatever. Um, so you know, get a, you know, beat Hull City, and then one of Luton, QPR, Middlesbrough, and make sure we don't don't lose. Really, um, then it should set us up because the our final running is okay. Uh, Barnsley will still be scrapping. Coventry uh, will be interesting because I'm not too sure you know where their heads will be at because you know it, they're starting to maybe be, get a bit too far behind. Uh, and then uh, we've got Bristol City on the last game, so. You know, if we can get through, navigate through that three-game period there intact, then we've got every chance of getting in. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. We're going to Sheffield next to the Red Half at Bramall Lane, and we're speaking to Hal from Sheffield United Way as the Blaze look to muscle their way into the top six picture. Hal, how are you doing? Thank you for joining us. I'm all right. My pleasure. So it's been quite a Jekyll and Hyde season for United, I think it's fair to say. The, the form since Paul Heckenbottom took charge has been pretty amazing in what was a pretty controversial change at the time looking back. What has been the, the sort of main difference that Heckenbottom's implemented since he's taken over from earlier in the season when Slavizia Kanovic was obviously struggling to, to really get his ideas across? Hecky has been playing three at the back. Slav tried to implement his, his wingers and his back four with players that we didn't have that fitted in that system. So he was square pegs in round holes. Slav's system was unfortunately never going to work unless he got the players in that he wanted and that was going to be a rebuild and a lot of Blades fans felt that some of our players had come to the end of their natural cycle and it would be time to move on John Fleck, Oliver Norwoods, you know Billy Sharp, players like that. Uh, Something that we on Sheffield United Way didn't necessarily ever mention. We tried to kind of leave that to the fans. That's one of the things we like to do is get the opinion of supporters. If it's up to me you'd never hear my opinion on the channel uh, and the podcast. I would just want the opinion of the fans. There's one very good reason for that. You can't be wrong if you don't give your opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, but since Hackingbottom, Stuart McCall and Jack Lester have all been brought in. On my birthday, by the way, when that happened. It was absolutely- So you're claiming some credit for this? Well, it's funny you actually say that uh, because on our channel, we, we have interviewed the owner and off air, we did tell him what we thought. <laughs> Myself and Nick. And um, I may well have told him what I thought about the fact that I thought Heckenbottom should have been given the job in the summer. I thought he should have carried on. I thought he did a cracking job. That didn't go down well. Um, but hey, I'm not saying, no, of course I wasn't the reason that decision was made. Uh, but they know, and I'm glad I you know, said it, because at the moment, I've been vindicated. Yes, absolutely. And there's been a, a lot of players that, as you said, have sort of played their best football under under Heckenbottom when, when previously didn't look that fancied with Jukanovic. Basham came back in when they moved back to a obviously a back three. Jaden Bogle's probably had his best run as a Sheffield United player right wing back before he obviously got injured. And Wes Fod- Fodderingham's probably one of the stories of the season. League One Wes, as he was renowned around Sheffield before this season, he's been a real mainstay in goal and a crucial player for you. 
Wes. League One, Wes. Are we crazy? We're not crazy. This guy's the real deal. England's number one. Uh, Wes was a goalkeeper that, if you ask Rangers fans, they loved him. And it was always baffling to me that he was third choice behind Ramsdale and Verips, who we hadn't really seen anything of Verips, the uh, the Dutch keeper. We finally did. He was thrown in against West Bromwich Albion uh, because Aaron Ramsdale kind of went on strike because he wanted to force a move because for once the blades were tough in the transfer market and we didn't just accept the first low ball offer. We actually said, no, here's the price, meet it or he ain't going. And uh, Ramos did everything he could to force a move to Arsenal, which for him has looked to be an exceptional move. I think we're all a little bit surprised at how well he's done at Arsenal. Uh, I always thought he was a good keeper. Perhaps I didn't realise how great he was. But Wes could have really, because he's been with us for a couple of years now, could really have played from the minute we signed him, because he's clearly a very, very good stopper. I mean, the save after time of recording that he made against Barnsley, our most recent match, was fantastic. A big guy gets down so low to make a, a crucial save at nil-nil, changes the game, and he's done that time and time again from the very first, one of the one of the first games I saw, not the very first, but one of the first games I saw him in. Um, he was great at Luton, but he was really good in the League Cup against Southampton. Made a wonder save in that game, and I remember Nick, who I do the, the channel with, I was watching both of those two games I just mentioned, but particularly the Southampton one. I just said to him, "This is our keeper," and then we brought in Robin Olsen, and, and again, I'm. I'm on record with saying this. Uh, I did do a, a video praising Olsen as a signing because on paper it looks like a great signing, one of our best keepers would ever have signed in terms of track record. But I also said it wasn't fair dropping Wes after his performances just because of reputation of the other keeper that's come in. You've got to do it fair. Got to give them both a shot. Wes, you keep him in until he makes a mistake. Then you could throw Olsen in. Wes hadn't made a mistake. So I felt that was very unfair just dropping him because this guy's got a better CV. That's not, I don't believe how you should do it. No, and obviously the, the save against Blackburn, the penalty, obviously that was a match-clinching uh, save as well because obviously he went down and Ben Davies scored the late winner. In terms of sort of the, the star man for Sheffield United this season, I think Morgan Gibbs-White is the one that obviously catches the eye. Billy Sharp's been very good as well. Uh, but Gibbs-White's got nine goals. He's got seven assists. He seems like the one that can really unlock the door and be the match winner for Sheffield United in what is otherwise not a functional team, but he's probably the the, the one that's the most creative and, and certainly has that spark if you're playing Burge, Norwood and Fleck as, as that midfield trio. Do you think he's a Premier League player in waiting? Uh, Morgan Gibbs-White, we're whispering it because we don't want Wolves fans and Wolves hierarchy to know how good he is. So, no, he's rubbish and we'll keep him for another couple of seasons if that's all right. No, in reality, the, the lad's good enough to play for England, honestly. He, he's absolutely, and I mean that one day, not right now, but I've seen players that I've said will play for England at Bramall Lane before, and we know what it we know what it takes because we've produced Kyle Walker, Phil Jagielka, Harry Maguire. We saw Gary Cahill. We know what it takes. This guy's got it at in spades. He is incredible, a joy to watch. He has his bad games. Creative players always do. That is few and far between. Ninety nine percent of the time. He makes us tick. Absolutely. And, and that, as you say, that is the, the give and take that you have to have with these creative players. I've got a Sheffield United fan who sort of says that for as brilliant as he is, you don't always see the, the bad games or the misplaced passes and stuff like that. But, I, you know, my counter argument with him was sort of, but that's that's the, the you know, the buying when you've got mm. players like this. That's, that's, that's what, yeah, that's how you build your team. You don't have 11 Morgan Gibbs Whites in a team. 
but you've got to have at least one player of that sort of flair that can unlock the door. It's obviously very positive around Bramall Lane at the minute, and I, I have to say, I, I would say, of the teams in the playoffs, I would say Sheffield United would be the one that I would say is most likely to finish in there if I had to put a bet on one of them. What do you think is the most likely thing to stop you getting in the top six? Would it be injuries? Yeah, 11 players out at the moment. It's ridiculous. We've got a small squad, fully fit, with Heckingbottom in charge from the start. I reckon we're pushing Fulham. I know it sounds silly, but I thought we, when we played Fulham last season in the Premier League, whilst the results didn't necessarily show it, uh, certainly the away game, we were better than Fulham in two matches and the two squads aren't vastly different. We are a side now that is decimated with injuries. Key players, Brewster, Basham, Jack O'Connell, Billy Sharp, John Fleck, who's made the bench in the last game, but who knows, Ender Stevens, who's just coming back, uh, you know, Bogle, Baldock, just crucial, crucial players that we can't afford to be without. Injuries is going to be the only thing. So Sheffield United will be stopped by Sheffield United, by us having too many players out. Despite the injuries, and Hecky hasn't had a full-strength side since he's been in charge since the 25th of November, we're on track with those two points we're getting a game, points per average, to get 77 points. Four out of the last five seasons, that'll get you in the playoffs. Yeah, absolutely. It does look likely that they'll manage to do that. As you say, the injuries, they've, they've dealt with it in the stride. And as you say, it's been key players not having a proper right wing back in the last few games. Ben Osborne's had to play there with Baldock and, and Bogle out. You, even think, you forget about Jack O'Connell, which is sad because obviously he was... We don't. So No, you don't. But I've briefly forgotten when you read his name out because he's had such bad injuries. So you sound pretty confident. What, what would you score the chances of the Blades finishing the top six then? Oh, that's a really tough one because it, it, it crucially comes down to what I've just spoken about, the injuries. And I don't know how bad, for example, Billy Sharp's injury is. Is mm. he going to make it back for our game against Stoke? If he does, we've got a chance. If he doesn't, do I fancy Ollie McBurney as a lone striker? <laughs> you know I mean, no, there's a short answer to that. As much as I, on his day, love Ollie McBurney, he hasn't proven in a red and white shirt that he's a goal scorer. That's what we're going to miss. So... It's going to be so, so hard to make a prediction. If Billy's not too serious, I do think he's key. I really do. That's why I keep banging on about Billy. I think he's absolutely key. If he's out for two weeks, that could be the difference. Yeah. If he's out, if he's out for just one game, we might survive it. it it's it's all down to Billy and whether he's he makes it back from the hamstring injury. I think the thing with Sharp this season is I think he's certainly, well, maybe not developed, but he's showcased more of the the supporting role side of his game. He's not just been a poacher this season. He's, you look at his assist tally and the way he's linked up with Gibbs White in particular, that's been crucial and none of your other strikers offer that. Yeah, he holds the ball up so, so brilliantly. He's so wily. He's never had pace. People say, and people have been saying to me for ages that, particularly fans of other clubs, Billy's going to retire soon. He's got to. He's fitter now than he was 10 years ago. He knows what his body can do and he knows exactly how to get the best out of himself. So he knows that he's not going to knock the ball past the defender and run round him. That's never been his game. So why would he start doing that now? What he does is he draws fouls. He brings other players, quite rightly, as you say, into the game and he holds the ball up. He does it better than anyone. He's like, Kenny Dalgleish was famous for using his bum really well. Well, Billy does exactly the same thing. And no, I'm not comparing Billy with Kenny Dalgleish in any other way. But that is what Kenny was famous for. And Billy does it absolutely superbly. He is integral to the way we play, particularly as we are really just playing one up front. There'll be those that argue that we play two up front, but the way it actually develops in game, he will be the one that holds it up and then the support will come. 
possibly from one, ideally from two attacking midfielders. And what I'd like to see is Illiman and Dai and Morgan Gibbs-White playing together as two attacking players. But I'd also love to see Sander playing. I'm just going to say his first name. Uh, just maybe playing as well because he's also brilliant further forward. But if we've got injuries further back in the midfield, like maybe Fleck picks up another knock, Sander and Norwood could work together. There is options there, but it does depend on the injuries. If Billy's not too badly injured, I say we make the playoffs, but we probably just sneak in at sixth. Absolutely, and I think there's a lot of confidence around that. It's going to be a fascinating battle between now and the end of the season. Hal, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. My pleasure. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. Moving on to Blackburn Rovers now, and we're joined by Dan from the Rovers Chat Podcast. Dan, nice to have you along. Yeah, thanks for having us. It's, uh, I'm looking forward to speaking about what should be an interesting month for so. Yeah, it's certainly going to be an interesting one, that's for sure. First of all then, going against expectations from the start of the season and how things were and what you predicted off the back of last season, ju- just how well have Rovers done this year? Yeah, we've been nothing short of incredible. Like you say, we're expected to finish 18th, 19th. I know Gab Sutton, you know, well-respected when the EFL had us to go down and that wasn't absurd at all. I mean, you look at losing Adam Armstrong's hard for anyone, losing fake goals and we looked at the stage where we could be back to League One really and it's been a whirlwind season. Maybe not gonna like we wanted this year as such, but you know, we're still in the shout and I didn't expect that at this stage of the season. No, definitely not. I think it's Come as a bit of a shock to everybody, really, hasn't it? But obviously, you you started off a little bit slowly, and then sprung into life about October, November time, and just went on that terrific run. And the style of play was really attack mind. Obviously, we were scoring a lot of goals, and there were, we raised questions, certainly myself and Elliot, about were Blackburn right to continue with Tony Mowbray from last season because Elliot certainly thought they'd underachieved a hell of a lot. Just what do you think changed in his mindset to flick this around? And obviously, as you said, lost such a key player at Adam Armstrong as well. Yeah, I think last season we were trying to pass in game. And although we had a bit of quality to do it, you know, we had Harvey Elliott on loan last season. Uh, Taylor Albert Belly, as we start now. We had these plays. It was, I think it's the change of plan. You know, I think Mowbray's, through his time here, we were trying to build up to this playing style and it almost cost us in League One at one point and so he got rid of it and then he tried it last year and it didn't work even though like Lewis Holtby you know quality players that's probably why people thought we underachieved with this quality we had and he's kind of gone to the counter attacking this year you know we soak up pressure we we defend well we press well you know I think winning 2-0 at Bournemouth showed that that we hold out a lot of the pressure and then we hit them and you know, we might miss a few big chances, but we end up scoring one. And I think that's been the switch. Losing Adam Armstrong forced us to move to a way that we were used to playing without a striker who were going to get 10 shots a game. You know, it, it it almost worked for us not having him in the squad. It's forced us to find a different way. And, you know, it's brought along Brereton Diaz's incredible season. So, you know, it's losing a player like that, you think it affects you and it's actually boosted us up the table. Yeah, it kind of galvanises you, doesn't it? It just yeah. gives you that everyone else and just kind of, you know, we've lost the best man, we've all got to step up. And obviously you said about Brereton Diaz, I mean, seriously, how good has he been? This He's been unbelievable, hasn't he? Yeah, it's been uh, nothing short of incredible. He scored one goal in his first season, one goal in his second, and then he got seven in the lockdown season. And 
I think that helped him not having any fans on his back. You know, if every player's a confidence player, but Brereton's very much, if he's confident, he'll score goals. And, you know, we've had that this season. We've had, he's been taking shots he never took before. You know, he's been, I mean, the one that comes to mind for me in a local game against Preston, balls whipped across from Kadron. He's flipped the header in there. I tell you, if Ronaldo would have got up for that header in the Premier League, it'd be everywhere. It's complete confidence. He'd have never gone for that before. And that's what it's been, confidence. And Chile, you know, he's Chile's hero. And he's just been incredible for Rovers this season. It's just been remarkable, hasn't it? I mean, when when you think back to the January window at the end of it, I think I saw something that Barcelona were being linked with him. It's just something that you couldn't have imagined back in August, could you? Well, it makes a change as well because a few years before they ran about Alan Pardew getting him at uh, Ardor Den Haag in Netherlands. He ran about taking him on loan and getting him out the spotlight. And then, you know, two years later, Real Madrid, Barcelona, Sevilla, West Ham, Newcastle, you know, all these clubs with lots of money going for Europe wanting. And, you know, we're at the stage where we've gone from a player we paid £7 million for and looking like we were going to lose money on him. And now we could well, we're probably going to quadruple what we paid for him and get that back. And it's just mental, you know. That Barcelona link summed it all up, didn't it? It did. It was quite remarkable, wasn't it? But when you think about it, obviously, Brereton Diaz, for, for people who don't watch Blackburn regularly and just look at the results and the numbers, he's been the one that everybody's looked to as being the star man who's done everything. And at the back, you've been pretty solid all season long. Darrell Anihan's been terrific. Nyambe's been solid. Just how much of a collective effort has it been throughout the team for everyone? Yeah, it has been. I mean, we started a back four and, you know, it were working. We've got Scott Wharton back. He had a lot of spells in League Two. Like Anyone who watches League Two football will know him from, I think he had three promotions in three seasons in League Two. And, you know, we threw him in this year at a stage when, again, a bit like Brut, I think we expected Wharton to leave. And, you know, he's we're at that age where he has to play and he's coming, he's been on fire. Uh, Jan-Paul van Heck, unknown from Brighton, didn't know anything about him, never played in England before. Got sent off against Fulham when we got beat 7-0 for kicking Harry Wilson in the head, basically. And, you know, I think we all expected him not to play. And then he comes in because we got to a back five. And he's, for me, he's player of the season for Rovers. You know, he, even over Brereton, he gets player of the season. And Harry Pickering left back, you know. Rovers have started it where we buy these League One players. We loan out of youth players and getting these players experience in the third and fourth tiers and then they come to us and you know Pickering's he was playing League 2 a few years ago he's gone League 1 he's come up to Championship he's playing and if Rovers put their ideas up he could play the Prem the next year that's progress that's how we've done it and you know it's been working for us Yeah it's kind of in some ways, it's kind of similar to what Brentford have done down the years, isn't it? They've obviously looked at players from the lower leagues, Rico Henry for one, for example, and many others. But obviously for Blackburn at the minute, things have been been stuttering. They've not been going all your own way, but every team experiences this patch in the Championship. I mean, I've wrote down two wins in the last 11. It, it's, it's not been a case of been playing badly. It's just a case of the goals have not been flowing in that run, and it's really hampered you, hasn't it? Yeah, it's been a mixed chance, really, that's done it. I think start of the season, again, you know, when you're winning games, things swing for you and we'd, you know, we'd miss a sitter at start of the season and you, you'd be confident that we'd go and win it anyway. You know, we'd get another goal. We've done it done it in a few games. You know, I think 
that run we had after the Fulham game, we missed chances, we went one down straight away, but we fought back, and now it's, we're only getting that one chance, I mean, I think to Saturday at Reading, the defeat we just had against a poor Reading side, realistically, with all respect to them, that Dak shoots, keeper saves it, falls four yards out to Gallagher, and he falls over the ball, and you know, if you're Fulham and you're top of the league, you go and put that in the net, don't you? And it's another three points, and it's been fine margins, and that's what, you know, it gives me confidence going into these last seven games that if Brereton gets back and he's the one with that ball four yards out, you know, it's three points and it's just fine margins like it is in this division now, you know. Teams go up because they can win games. Look at Fulham, look at Bournemouth, Luton, and we're just not doing that in the second half of the season. Do you think it will purely be a case of if the goal-scoring issues don't resolve themselves, it'll be that and that only that stops you getting in the top six? But obviously... Brereton Diaz could be back very soon. Yeah, do it. It's a, it's a tough one. I think all the sides start playing each other now, don't they, around? I know Sheffield United have to play QPR twice. I know Fulham have every club around us. Bournemouth have a really tough running. So it's coming to the stage now where teams have to drop points around us. And if we score first, we win games, Rovers. That's just the way we are. We don't come from behind often, but if we score first, we win. I mean, someone like Brereton Diaz up front who can just put you one up and then we see out the game. That's massive. We won't go up. Uh, we won't not get the top six because of uh, defensive. Defensive's fine. We're fine. We'll, I think we could, I don't know the record, we could be the first club to end up with 20 clean sheets and not get in the top six. That's how good we are at the back and how naff we are going forward at the moment. Well, that leads me into the million-dollar question then. Out of 10, what do you think your chances are of getting into these playoff places out of 10? How confident are you feeling? See, I'm an optimist. I'd go six or seven, I think. It's the teams playing each other that does it for me. Everyone's got to go to Fulham. Everyone's got to play Bournemouth. It's six or seven, but ask me after the Coventry game and... If we win, that'll go up to an eight, a nine, and if we lose, it'll probably go to a three. So it changes quickly, doesn't it? It certainly does. I mean, it's just one weekend to the next, and it's completely balmy. And like I say, for us as neutrals, these next few weeks are going to be gripping. But I'd imagine for you and the rest of the fans involved in this, it's going to be both exciting and unbearable to watch. Well, Dan, that's great. Thank you very much for joining us on the Champ Chat pod. We really do appreciate your time. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. I look forward to listening to what everyone else thinks about this uh, interesting last seven games or so. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. Next, we're off to the Riverside Stadium where we're going to look at Middlesbrough's chances of finishing in the playoff places. And I'm delighted to say we're joined by Johnny from the Borough Breakdown. Johnny, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Thanks, Elliot. How are you doing? Yeah, good. Thanks. Thank you for joining us on this week's podding. What is a, an absolute malaise of the playoff picture and trying to work out who's going to finish in the championship top six, not more. So given the the various games in hand across all the different teams and Boroughs, of course, are one of those teams that do have uh, games to play ahead of their rivals, given the FA Cup run, which obviously came to, to an end uh, a couple of weeks ago. Now it's been a pretty surreal run for you. How, how amazing was it to see a, a packed out Riverside celebrating victory over Kane and Conte? Oh yeah, it was brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. I think, that that whole FA Cup run was was fantastic. Uh, you know, it was a really difficult run, really. Like Mansfield as well. I think since 
I think since we beat them, they were unbeaten until like I think last weekend or something daft like that, um, which was pretty mad. And they're doing very well, you know. Obviously, beating the likes of United away, where you expected to probably win now because the garbage and um, beating Spurs. Yeah, it was a really good run, mate. Probably couldn't have had a, a more difficult run in the FA Cup, but it's nice to know that you can come, you, you can compete at that level. Yeah, all the it makes it all the sweeter, no doubt. Were you in the away end at Old Trafford? I wasn't, no, funny enough, no. Um, I, I actually wasn't, but Dana and Tom, who went on the podcast, did. Um, but now I feel like every time we go on an away game together, like all three of us, we get beat. So I might just not go now. From now, I might just stick at home and, and not bother anymore. Tension very much on the league now. And it, this this always felt to me, certainly, I think I put you fifth in my preseason predictions. And that was before, obviously, Wilder came in. Uh, it always felt like a squad that was good enough to be competing in and around the playoffs even before the January editions. And then you bring in, the, in my eyes, the best manager in the league and Chris Wilder, who's elevated the, the team to another level, it's fair to say. What, what's the biggest changes he's made from when Warnock was in charge and obviously you were, you were stuttering a little bit, sort of mm. top half rather than in around that playoffs and now obviously really pushing and, and the momentum you've got to try and finish in that top six? Yeah, um, I think with, with Warnock, we were never going to push for playoffs at all. We were never going to be anywhere near it. Um, the players just didn't suit his style and it felt like the team had outgrown him. And we needed to move on because we brought in a director, of, like a head of football, and Kieran Scott from from Norwich, and it was the first time we've done it, and we've got like a, a more of a project now, more of like a project Middlesbrough V two, like a, a long term sustainable plan. And since that's happened, everything's been pretty rosy. Wilders came in in, in the November. He's completely changed the way we play. You know, it's more suited to the players. The standards have got a lot better. Um, and every time we, we do have a negative result or things don't go our way, um, we're able to get out of them through our own play. But then also we have a reaction mentality-wise. And I think that's the biggest change we've probably seen. Him and Alan Neil have done a fantastic job so far. The run we're at at home, I think eight wins in a row in, in the league, which is really, really strong. I think we just need to improve our away form. But... Yeah, since Wilds came, he's just transformed us completely. Um, we're a much, much better side, not just for a fan perspective, but also uh, as a club perspective. It's the right man at the right time. Yeah, Chris Wilders did a fantastic job at Sheffield United, obviously, as everyone knows. And to be honest, he probably should have been taking a job back in the Premier League, but we all know how yeah. reputations sort of work. You get relegated with Sheffield United, despite all the context. People just see the, the R next to his name and then he's in back in the Championship. So credit to him for getting sort of back on the horse. He's really rebuilt that Middlesbrough squad, as you say, some January additions which have come in and some have hit the ground running, some we're still waiting to see a little bit more from. Do you think the striker combination is, is what he's still trying to work out the most in that starting eleven? Oh, yeah, it's, it is the conversation that all Borough fans are just chatting about at the moment. Who's going to start? Who should not start? And um, We've got good options. Um, I think, unfortunately for us, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's unfortunate, I think we, we've got the likes of Spora, who looks like to be a number 10, um, who's out of form at the moment. You've got Balogun, who is, is an incredible talent, technically wonderful to watch. And he's more of like a wide forward. Same with Connolly. Um, and then you've got Duncan Watmore, who's a fan favourite, who's just he'll run at the ground. And then you've also got Josh Corburn, who's got the best strike rate across the whole club. Um, and fans are pushing for him to start. And I think it's probably right, you know, although he's got, even though he scored against Tottenham, He's he's really effect, effective when he comes on. Um, he gives us a different dimension to our play when we need it. Um, so it's it's nice to have the options, but it's it's I think it's just it depends on what Wild thinks. He's currently sticking with with Balogun and Connolly, and 
they're not playing too bad, to be honest. Um, they're playing relatively quite well. They just, I think they just need t- more time to gel. But then also, if you want to have that quick fix, we've got the options there to change it. Yeah, there's no doubt in my mind that Isaiah Jones has sort of been the poster boy of this. Certainly, I know he came into the side under under at the back end of Warnock's career, but certainly he's been the poster boy of the Chris Wilder era. He's been absolutely sensational at right wing back. Obviously, there's a lot of comparisons with Jed Spence and how well he's doing at Nottingham Forest as well, and that's always sparking conversation. How good is Isaiah Jones, and, and how high would you put his ceiling? Um, Isaiah Jones can go as high as he wants. It's the same with Jed as well. Um, Jed's a fantastic fullback. Um, and just and just as good, we re, we we really liked him on the podcast anyway. Um, uh, before he was shipped out on on loan, um, but Isaiah Jones can go as, as high as he wants to go. You know, he, he's technically good. You know, he's attack. He's, he's very strong on the ball. Can create a really good chance. Um, he seems to have know, remarkable composure for someone that age when he gets into yeah. the gets to the byline. You know, we've seen him like the, the assistant QPR, mm-hmm. for example, springs to mind where he knocks it round him and the composure to pick someone out in the dying seconds of the game in that position is so unique for someone at that age. Yeah, that's it. Like it, you're absolutely on the money to be honest. And the, the composure is fantastic. And I think when he's working in this system with Wilder, um, I think it really suits him at the moment. And I think he just needs time. I think it'd be silly for him to move on now. Um, I think Jed's in a different position where like it's, it's, it's a bit of a un, un, uneasy relationship. So I feel like him moving on would be a good thing for all parties, but with Isaiah Jones, stick around for maybe another 18 months. And if you want to move on, I think Middlesbrough will get good money for him, like very good money for him. He can go as high as he wants. There's obviously every chance that, that, might, that Middlesbrough might be in the, uh, in the Premier League themselves. The <laughs> seventh at the minute, two points off six. But as I said at the top of the show, plenty of games in hand. What do you think is the most likely thing that would stop Middlesbrough getting in the top six? Or away from Honestly, our waveforms. Um, it's it let what's it's what lets us down. Um, we're, I think we're fourteenth, thirteenth, or fourteenth in the form table for away, but then third um for home. You know, we we are very very good at home. We're very convincing. Um, but away from home, when we go behind, we we struggle to get back in in the games, get a foothold, and try and and try and really take a, a grip of the game. And unfortunately, we need to just start to balance out a little bit more and try to get even just avoid defeat I think is probably the, a big step forward for us um, if we can do that avoid defeat get two points a game we can be in and around it but what's going to stop us I think yeah just just the away form alone because the teams around us in that playoff picture you know we've picked up a good result against Fulham this season picked up a good result against Bournemouth beat Luton uh, we've we've beat Huddersfield beat, uh, beat Sheffield, Sheffield United appreciate sure, under a different regime Blackburn, we've got good points there, and you know the teams around us, we've we've done relatively okay against. So I think there's nothing to lose in terms of playoff position, but I think the away form has to improve. What do, what do you think is that difference? Does it come down to maybe the type of midfielders you've got, and you maybe don't have someone that sort of dictates the tempo of a match in terms of on the ball? Um, on the ball, no, no, no. Our midfield is very strong. Um, you know we've we've definitely got options. Appreciate at the moment we've got injuries with Pierre out and and Riley McCree. Um, but the midfield itself is really solid. You know, we've got Johnny House in there, bags of experience. He, he, he's had a new lease of life under Chris Wilder because under Warnock, I thought he was finished. Um, and it's made it just due to system changes. But if anything lets us down in, in terms of like the team side, maybe forwards, maybe. Um, but I think defensively we're sound. 
midfield relatively sound as well. Strikers can be a little bit more improved. And goalkeeper in Joel Lumley, he's got a mistake in him. And we've probably seen that a few times, but yep, I think you've got to you've, you've got to give him a you've got to give him confidence. I think you can't like not back him now when it's when it's like what eight eight and nine games to go. So he's got, I think he's got to do it. But if we don't go up, it's not the end of the world. Honestly, if Bora don't go up this year, we'll probably be pushing for top two next year anyway, regardless. I think. No, I would agree with that. When Wilder came in, I, I sort of said I think Bora will go up in the next eighteen months, and I think that's even though you've you've sort of accelerated quicker than I thought because you're obviously so behind in the playoff race when he came in. Um, I think you've got every chance that if that doesn't happen, then you've still got a very good chance next season. What would you score your chances then of, of finishing in the top six now? Uh, I'm conf- I'm, you know what? I'm confident that we'll hit top six. I'm confident. I think we will. Um, whether we go up, I'm not sh- not too sure. Um, but like I said, it's for us, for Borough fans, it is not the end of the world. Like This project that we're building now is way more exciting and that bigger picture is way better than what a promotion probably this season would be. Um, but, I mean, if we did get promoted, I mean, that just accelerates it tenfold, doesn't it? So, I'm quietly confident, Elliot, quietly confident, um, but I'm happy just to to be an underdog, I think, at the moment. It's not a number, though, is it? Yeah. Uh, 7 out of 10. Don't worry, we've asked everyone this question, so it's nice. We're not just going to try to give you a political up. answer there, didn't I? Try to get... Yeah, you <laughs> tried. That's brilliant. Thank you very much, Johnny. Uh, no, no problems, Elliot. Thanks for having me on, mate. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. Next up on this week's podcast, we're heading to the Kyan Prince Foundation Stadium and we're going to check in with Queen's Park Rangers. And I'm delighted to say we're joined by Alex from Our Generation to discuss what's going on with Mark Warburton's men at the minute. Alex, thank you very much for joining us. Hi, Elliot. No problem. Thanks, Pete. So it's it's fair to say that QPR are probably the most out of form team of the the sort of the nine teams that are trying to get in this uh, in this playoff places. Um, yeah, worst run of form. What what's gone wrong in the last few months? Because it's been a strange fall off where it looked like QPR at one stage were going to be the most likely to challenge the automatic places uh, with Bournemouth in it for that second spot. But certainly in the last six to eight weeks, things have really, really fallen off. Yeah, uh, it's interesting because I think we've always had a problem this season with sides that press us. It's something that we've on our podcast we've talked about a lot. Um, and it's some, something that we just haven't really been able to deal with throughout the season. Uh, Peterborough were quite good at pressing us at the weekend. Um, so that's like a big weakness. And, you know, with the Fulham game coming up, I'm quite daunting fixture they're going to pretty much probably do the same thing uh as peter and as they did earlier on in the season but it's bizarre they we've like you said we've fallen to probably the i think it's the second worst form in the league behind uh peterborough only winning two games in the last 10 and i think everyone's sort of struggling to find a reason for it i guess there's injuries that haven't helped goalkeeping in particular so we had David Marshall, Senny Dieng, and now Kieran Westwood as well. Um, we've been missing Lyndon Dykes for a bit. So I think there's a, a lack of belief. If you, It sounds strange to say that, but they just seem to have been found out by a few teams and they're struggling to find a way to beat opposition now. Um, and it, a lot of the time, the major criticism by fans levelled at the side is it's just too slow. We don't move the ball quick enough. We have a lot of possession, but we don't really do anything with it. 
I suppose when you look at that QPR team, it's not filled with loads of runners. It's more about possession play, technical players like Chair and Willock playing in those dual 10, number uh, number 10 roles. So I sort of see where if the tempo's not quite right, teams can sit in low blocks and they could frustrate you. There's been a lot of frustration with, with Mark Warburton, even some suggestions that from some supporters that they'd like a replacement, which in my opinion, that's surely got to be an overreaction because I, I think despite the current form, to get you where you have been, which is in the playoffs for the vast majority of the season, that's that's a pretty good job on the, the budget he's had and the way he's had to turn that squad over and, and where you were 18 months ago. Oh, absolutely. I think there's a... I can't remember where the it came from. There was a, there was a picture from a QPR account earlier on the season and it had all the details of the different budgets that everyone was working on and it compared us with Fulham, Bournemouth and West Brom. And the gap between us and them money-wise, is just ridiculous. He's worked with a small squad, which he always says that he likes to work with. Um, but yeah, like last season, halfway through the season, I think a lot of fans wanted him sacked because they thought we were going down. And mm. now we're, we've only been out of the playoffs, I can't remember the exact time, but it's not been that long outside of the playoffs. Um, so it is a massive overreaction. I think everyone's sort of desperate to finish as well as we can. I think we finished ninth last year. If we finish eighth this year, that's still an improvement. And I'm still happy with that. We've got sellable assets in Willock, Chair, Dickey, possibly even Senny Deng as well. So there could potentially be room for improvement next year and more investment in the side. But yeah, in the moment, it's it's disappointing. But no way should Warburton be sacked. He's deserved uh, and earned another chance at getting us into the playoffs. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I'm, I'm a really big Mark Wolverton fan. I've been for a few years, but I'm, I'm not you know, going to shy away from the fact that last season I actually predicted you to go down after uh, after uh, Say Samuel was, was sort of having a contract dispute and uh, a lot of the other players had left. And, you know, as you say, you were sort of 18th at Christmas 18 months ago or so, and it looked like you were going down with trajectory. And then the way he's transformed that squad, he's done brilliantly. And when you talk about the confidence, when you look at that QPR squad, I suppose... There's not an abundance of players that have been there and done it and finished in the playoffs. I know you've got Andre Gray, for example, Jeff Hendrick, who's just come into the squad, as well as has been in there with Derby. But your likes of Dickey, uh, Chair, Willock, it's all a relatively new experience for them being right at the top in this business end of the season. Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny you mentioned Hendrick, because he's been quite a contentious figure over yeah. the last couple of games. He hasn't necessarily played to the best of his ability. Um, obviously, he hasn't played a lot for Newcastle this season. Um, but if you'd ask QPR fans, what position do you want a signing in in January? That would not have been the position. We've kind of quite comfortable in midfield. Johansson, Amos, Dazelle, uh, Sam Field and Don Ball. So there's plenty of positions covered there. We didn't really need him. It kind of felt like we just went for him because he was available. And now he's not playing so well. People are starting to criticise him quite heavily. Uh, and it's a little bit of a strange decision. We've been pretty good of transfers recently. And that's one that hasn't quite gone with the trend. Do you know what I mean? Could you say the same about Dion Sanderson? That, that again seemed like someone that was available rather than then it's ended up sort of just disbalancing that back three. Yeah, this is another one because we had Geordie Device as our uh, sort of starting central centre back in the back three at the start of the season. Now, he's obviously quite injury-prone. He got injured for us last season when he came on loan from Hull and he got picked up an injury again. 
for his, much to his disappointment, but out of that, we've got a pretty good centre-back in Jimmy Dunn. Yeah. We de- then go and sign Sanderson in January, but it took a while to get him in. And by the time Sanderson came in, Device was pretty much fit. But we're not quite sure what's happened because he then got shipped out on loan. And now, I mean, in the last two games, Sanderson didn't have... Sanderson was poor against Peterborough, so he's come under a lot of criticism as well. And people have pointed to the Geordie Device loan, saying, why on earth are we sending him away? Has there been something going on behind the scenes? And, you know, I completely understand because it is absolutely bizarre because he was part of that those four signings that we made last year that turned us from being potential relegation candidates to the top end of the table. Um so that was bizarre, and I don't quite understand it, and I don't think we've really had a good reason for it yet. Yeah, um, it looked strange from looking from the outside as well, but it's not all negative at QPR at the moment, in fairness. Uh, you've had a great season. You've been in the, the playoffs for the majority of it, and Chris Willock has definitely been the, the shining light of that. Seven goals and 11 assists. Do you think if QPR don't get promoted this season, you'll be able to hang on to him, or, or is the Premier League waiting for him? I think he's definitely going to end up in the Premier League eventually. I don't want to be... It's going to sound quite mean, but potentially that injury keeps him at QPR for another season. I think it's more likely on the scale of things, the way that players have moved on from us as they had, I think, two seasons, three seasons, and then got picked up by Crystal Palace, um, similar with Asai Samuel. I'd probably say that Chair is more likely to leave. There's been, there's always been rumours around him. Uh, same with Dickey as well. West Ham keep on coming up as a potential option for him. Um, I think Willock will be staying with us for another season, though. But he's definitely heading towards the Premier League, yeah. Yeah, that would be brilliant if you could keep hold of him for another season. Um, So, looking at, obviously, where you are at the minute, you're eighth in the table on 59 points, two points off six. So, it's it's far from over by any means. It's just the form that obviously gives a negative um, sort of feeling around the club at the minute. What's the most likely thing that will stop Queen's Park Rangers getting in the top six? Uh, Well, just if... I think we need to go back to having a bit more of a settled start in 11. The midfield got changed um, for the last two games. So you've got, it was Field, Amos and Dazel. I would like to see, he's had a lot of illnesses recently, but I'd love to see Stephanie Hansen come back into the side. He is our best midfielder. He's the captain. So the team clearly believe in him. Um, And he's, I think he makes the most progressive passes out of anyone in that side. So when you don't have him in the side, even though Dazelle's probably the most similar to him, he's not of the quality. Um, and he's Sand, oh, sorry, Johansson's come in for criticism this season. It's bizarre. I don't quite understand it. He's literally one of our best players. Um, and yeah, I think him being in the side is absolutely crucial. And just that lack of belief that we can't seem to just get forward enough. Um, if we overcome that, then you know we'll start scoring goals again. It'd be a lot more enjoyable. Yeah, I've always been a big Stefan Johansson fan, and for me, looking at your midfield options, I would definitely have him straight in that starting lineup. To be honest, from from what, as an outsider, I, I think he's, he's very good, and obviously did so well with Fulham, and is one of those players that has that promotion and tops and playoff experience that that will become crucial in these sort of last month or so, six weeks of the season. What would you score your chances then out of ten of finishing in the top six? Um, I mean, it looks difficult from where we are now because other sides that are above us I think Middlesbrough have got two a game in hand over us uh, yeah. and they're playing very well at the moment but we've still got 
I mean, it's still in our hands, really. Um, we've still got to play Sheffield United twice, so we're not quite sure how either side's going to play against each other there. And it's quite odd that it's gone this long, obviously, because of a COVID postponement. We haven't played them. Um, but we've still got, I think we've got four games against teams in the top half, four games in the, against teams in the bottom half of the table. So it's not, I don't think it's as doom and gloom as perhaps other people are saying. I'd probably give us a like a seven out of 10 chance. We've still got a very good chance. There's talented players in the side. Uh, it's just about getting behind the side now and trying to drag them over the line. That's brilliant, Alex. Thank you very much for your time. No problem. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. Next up for us on this week's podcast is Nottingham Forest. It's been a remarkable season for Steve Cooper's men, and I'm delighted to say we're joined by Rich from the 1865 Nottingham Forest podcast. Rich, how are you doing? Thank you for joining us. Yeah, I'm all good, thank you. And obviously, it's a happy time on the whole to be a Forest supporter. Which is not something you've been able to say that that often over the last decade or so, to be honest. Things probably as good as they have been for a Nottingham Forest fan right now. Yeah, the last time Forest fans felt happy with league positions and and style of play, etc., etc., was probably under Billy Davis. But even then, there was there's always that feeling he was one press conference away from the whole thing going into meltdown. Uh, the last time Forest fans felt this good was probably twenty years ago when Paul Hart was in charge, and that was a star that 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 burned brightly, but for a very short time as well. Well, fingers crossed, things uh, things are a little bit longer lasting for, for Steve Cooper, of course. And it has been a remarkable season. It's been Jekyll and Hyde in a lot of ways, um, from bottom of the table after eight games to the last eight of the FA Cup and, and on the verge of the playoff places, of course, with games in hand. How good, you touched on it a little bit there, how good have the last few months been in particular? Well, all I'd say is that, and I think it's something that... Um, that you guys tweeted out is that it's never in championship history before happened that a team that were bottom after eight games has got promoted and let's not get ahead of ourselves because no one's won anything yet even Fulham haven't got promoted yet and they're so far ahead it's untrue but after eight games we were stealing ourselves up for being at the bottom of the table all season just like we were when Sabri Lamushi got sacked the season before and Chris Hewton took over we just thought it's survival, mid-table obscurity is the best we can hope for. But it just goes to show how much the modern game has changed because you have old-school managers like Hewton, and I'm not here to to call him out, but you've got old-school managers and then you've got the new breed. And you look at what a difference it makes when you have uh, a new breed manager. And the, the classic example of the new breed manager is probably Pep Guardiola. He's the pinnacle of that. But you look at the way that Klopp gets his team to play and you look at the way Graham Potter takes a very holistic view to things at Brighton. And Steve Cooper is 42 years old. He is very much of a modern coaching school of thought. His man management seems to be really, really strong. And just as importantly, he's it's so important to Forrest. You really buy into the club, the fans, the ethos, the history. And he he really hasn't put a foot wrong yet. No, I, we're massive Steve Cooper fans, I have to say. I thought there was a few question marks from sort of the wider media when Cooper got appointed at Forrest. And I thought, I found it bizarre. I find anyone that looks back on that Swansea reign and doesn't think massive overachievement, I don't understand the other point of view. Genuinely, I think he's, he's fantastic. He's certainly up there with Chris Wilder in our... Um, sort of pecking order of championship managers. Um, and as I say, he's got you on, on the, the periphery of the playoff places. You're ninth as we record today, three behind Blackburn Rovers. But of course, you've got two or three games in hand on all the teams pretty much in and around you. 
Um, it's been 57 points picked up from 20, your last 29 matches, so just shy of that magic two per points game, which we sort of see as automatic promotion form. Only Fulham have picked up more. You mu- I, it, you'd be lying if you say you, that you thought this group had it in them. It's an interesting one. We knew that we weren't doing as well as we should before. Of course. But equally, you look at a season ago... And our first choice front three then would have been Glenn Murray, Anthony Knockhart and Luke Freeman. And so you just look at the fact that now we've got Keenan Davis and Brennan Johnson supported by Philip Zinkenagel. Um, we've got players who previously have been very important for us, like Joe Lolly, who can barely get in the squad. Even without a huge turnover of players, you can see that things have moved on. And that's got to be down to a couple of things, coaching, mentality but also just forward momentum. Uh, that's that's massively important. Um, I say, what I will say is that I'm, I'm always really cautious. I'd rather have points in the bag than games in hand. But at the same time, the form that we're in has meant that people, other people cleverer than me have done some calculations and basically worked out that there's still a chance of top two. Um, now, I'm not going to say that that's going to happen, but it's, it's nice to think that it could. Yeah, you'd have taken that, wouldn't you? Go, you know, going into April. Oh yeah. What's interesting is the the game against Bournemouth, which was controversially called off, having been moved by Sky, and then it was called off. You know, just a few hours before kick off, and there was all the fuss about how fans were being led up the garden path. That's now on the Tuesday night in the last week of the season, and for for weeks I was saying, well, that means that. Bournemouth might be on the beach by then if they've already got promoted and that could be good for Forest. And now in the last couple of weeks, I was saying to, I was saying to my wife when we were watching the Forest-Liverpool match the other night, it's like, now that Bournemouth match could be a six-pointer to decide second place. And it's just unbelievable to think that that that, that was even a possibility. Yeah, absolutely. Bournemouth, although they were brilliant at the weekend, they're picking up points, but their performance levels just fluctuating so badly since the turn of the year. One, You don't really know what sort of performance levels you're going to get. So, I think that second spot, I think Bournemouth definitely in the driving seat, but I definitely think, as you say, it's, it's remarkable that Forrester even in that position that you can realistically talk about that. And I think that's down to, obviously, a lot of factors. And, and for me, one of the, the biggest uh, compliments I can pace, play, I can give Steve Cooper is the fact that I feel like he gets the best out of the squad he's got of the players. We saw that with the resources he used at Swansea. And if you look at the likes of Worrell and McKenna, who obviously should be top championship defenders, but haven't been under previous previous regimes in some senses. Ryan Yates was, you know, maligned by some supporters, it's fair to say, and now has become an absolute linchpin of that midfield. And then, of course, your Brennan Johnsons and your, your Jed Spencers. And then the ability to work with young players as well, when you think of James Garner, Keenan Davis as well. And no one's talking about Lewis Graben. You know, he's been back to his best this season and no one's talking about him because Keenan Davis is doing so well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I completely agree with you. The, the idea in previous seasons when Lewis Graben has been missing... We've really missed him. And even under Sabri Lamushi, Graben's um, fitness and form in the last third of the season, when it was affected by the pandemic, they were a key factor. Um, and we just couldn't couldn't recover from, from those kinds of things. Whereas now, there's a feeling, there's, I mean, Cooper uses the word belief quite a lot. And, and Baz on our podcast, he says, it's a bit Ted Lasso, but he likes that. Um, but it's true. You get that extra 10% out of all the players. And it says a lot as well, the fact that players who've been on the fringes, when they come in, they play better than you could ever have imagined. So you look at Tobias Figueiredo, left out in the cold, almost left the club on deadline day, turned in a couple of really good performances, including against Liverpool, against Roberto Firmino. Um, You look at Cafu, who 
has been on the bench, every time he comes on, he's actually adding something to the team rather than it being, oh God, we've got to make a substitution. And Joe Lolly um, coming in for his first start in ages, I think about three months against Liverpool. And he looked really, really dangerous before he just ran out of steam after, after about 65 minutes. So those players who are on the fringes are showing that they've got something to offer and crucially that they, they want to be part of this. Yeah, absolutely. And as you say, having you know the buy-in from those that aren't necessarily the first names on the team sheet, that's a really important thing as we come to the business part of the season. And especially, as you say, with the injuries to, to Max Lowe and, and uh, Steve Cook as well, that's been vital with Figueroa just uh, slipping straight into the, the middle of that defence. Um, obviously, Brennan Johnson and Jed Spence have been the poster boys of the team throughout the, the course of the season. One probably definitely won't be at the City ground next season in Jed Spence because you'll imagine he'll get sold by Middlesbrough to a uh, Premier League team. Brennan Johnson will undoubtedly attract Premier League interest as well. Obviously, if Forrest go up, that changes the landscape entirely. How far do you think these two can go, realistically? In in the bigger picture, Forrest not going up but doing so well is great. But then there are at the back of our minds, it's like, actually, there's going to be four or five players who are in part of that team now who won't be there next season. Mm. So getting promoted would be very good because it would keep that, that core together. As for Jed Spence... Neil Warnock said it, didn't he? He could be Premier League or he could be non-league. And for us, he's consistently been Premier League. I think that's because, you know, there's an old cliche about strikers. They need to be loved. I think Jed is one of those, even though he's a fullback. And Brennan, he's got all the talent in the world. By all accounts, he's got good attitude. I think it does help that he's playing for his, his hometown team and the team where his dad had his most success as a player, arguably. Mm. Those factors help. So if we moved on, it'd be interesting. The other thing that would be interesting is for Jimmy Garner, for Brennan Johnson, for Keenan Davis, if they're in the Premier League next season and Forrest aren't, they ain't going to be getting much game time. So obviously finances are a big factor and who would deny a player the chance of playing in the Premier League? But is the grass greener on the other side? I think out of the current Forest squad, the only one who'd be able to consistently ply his trade at top level would probably be Joe Worrell. So obviously, it's so much positive about Forest. What do you think is the most likely thing that could cost them a playoff place? Well, we've got three of our first choice back five missing at the moment. That doesn't help. International break has come at a good time in the sense of it buys us a little bit of time to try and get Cook and McKenna and Lowe fit again. So you do wonder if there's going to be like a, a, a Bielsa effect whereby the team kind of run out of steam a little bit. You know, the legs get a bit heavy and, and they just run out of puff. But that hasn't necessarily happened with Cooper's Swansea over the last couple of years. Of course, they famously pipped us on that horrific last last night of the season a couple of years ago. And that's because they kept going when Forrest couldn't. So it remains to be seen what happens. So injuries are a problem. And then the other thing is, of course, it's about keeping that momentum the fact, having said that, I'd rather have points in the bag. What's good about having the games in hand is it keeps the pressure on to keep performing. You can't take anything for granted. You know you've got to win these matches. And um, as a few other Forest fans have said, it does feel as though for the first time in a long time, we've got a team who aren't likely to bottle it. Just finally, how would you score your chances of, of finishing the playoffs out of 10? In the playoffs, I would say we've got a good a good eight or nine out of ten. Getting promoted is another matter entirely. You'll be well aware that Forrest have not had a happy history in the playoffs in the past. Well, fingers crossed for Forrest. They've certainly caught the uh, the attention. And, and us, my co-host George, I think, has is, is become a, an adopted Nottingham Forest fan as a neutral of the championship this season. Certainly a Steve Cooper fan. Thank you very much for your time, Rich. Really appreciate it. Thank you.
This is the Championship Chat Podcast. To round off this week's podcast, as usual, we're now going to move on to our shocks and bankers for the upcoming weekend. George, what have you got, my good friend? Well, I'm going to kick things off. Uh, I was was kind of leaning towards the Friday night fixture, but I'm going to dodge that one for the uh, whole Huddersfield game. So I'm going to I'm going to jump to the Saturday, and for a banker, I'm going to I'm going to go brave. I'm going to go bold. I'm going to go for Forest to win at Blackpool. Really tough one for Forest, but I think they will find enough to get over the line in that one. Promises to be a good game. The early kick off on Saturday. For a shock, I'm going to go. I'm going to go quite brave on that one, and I'm going to go for Peterborough to beat Middlesbrough. Peter have shown signs of life in the last few weeks. They have turned a corner slightly. Middlesbrough not been the best away from home under Chris Wilder. Both sides have got massive, massive things to play for. So I won't rule out a shock in that one. So I'm going to go for Peterborough to beat Borough as a shock. For my shock, I'm going for Birmingham City to beat West Brom on Sunday. Obviously in the uh, in a in the West Midlands derby. So I, I, Blues they've not been brilliant recently, but I think that performance at Swansea before the international break was really encouraging. They racked up, you know, over not over a three expected goals and somehow drew a blank. So I fancy them to get all three points against West Brom, who have shown some signs of life in the last few weeks under Steve Bruce. But I still am not wholly sold on in terms of backing them to to win matches, particularly away from home, which really has been their Achilles heel throughout the course of the season. And then for my banker, I'm going to go for Bournemouth to beat Bristol City. Bournemouth's performance levels, the point tally, as we've spoke about, has been relatively consistent in in the way they're picking up points. They've not lost many recently, but the performance levels have certainly been uh, quite up and down. We saw them absolutely tear apart Huddersfield, but then draw with Reading the the week before, draws against Peterborough as well in the last few weeks. So it's a bit of a gamble. Bristol City do carry a threat on the break, as we know, with with Semenyo, if he's fit, and Vyman and Chris Martin, but we also know that they defend like under-14s at times, so they certainly are prone to leaking. And with Bournemouth in good form and having hopefully rested up over the international break, I'm going for them to win at the Vitality Stadium. So Bournemouth to beat Bristol City as my banker and my shock is Birmingham City to beat West Brom. And that rounds off this week's episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. If you do enjoy the pods, please make sure you subscribe in your usual podcast app and make sure you're following us on Twitter and Instagram at ChampChatPod24. Sharing the podcast helps go a long way to helping us reach new listeners. So if you do enjoy the podcast and the weekly breakdowns, please do drop us a retweet when the episodes go live. You can support this podcast as well with our Ko-Fi page, contributing the cost of a cup of coffee towards our monthly overheads on a one-off basis. The link to donate is in our podcast description if you do feel so inclined. Have a great week and we'll catch you next Monday for another episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier.